Blog Talk Radio. Sherry's Playhouse presents Joe Cronus, a time travel radio play. Scene one. Setting, a bookstore in New York City. Joe is a man in his late 30s. He is leaning against a wall, watching his customers walk in and out of his store. He politely nods to the regulars, but it's as if he is waiting for someone. He's working on his laptop while he waits. Uh, Hemingway. No, no, no. Too arrogant. Charlotte Bronte. No, she needs to grow up a little bit. Uh, Julius Caesar, no way, forget it. He can suffer. Oh, Princess Diana. Hmm. He turns off the program as he sees a young woman come in the store and smiles. He pushes himself off the wall and approaches her. Miss Carrington. Yes? Your appointment is with... Uh... Appointment? I. This address popped up on my smartphone over and over... Every app, every page, I couldn't rid myself of it. Really? How odd. What is? Granos! Oh, just a minute, Robert. Miss Carrington, if you'd excuse me. Yes, Robert. How dare you stick me with this? What are you referring to? This! Robert shoves his tablet under the other man's nose. Joe takes the device out of the tall man's hands and looks at the page. He glances up, his head tilted slightly with an ironic smirk on his face. I had nothing to do with it. I will not take this assignment. You have no choice. Hell, I don't. Go do your job. I always do my job. Excellent. Now, if you'll go and do your job so I can do mine. As you can see, my appointment is waiting while you're complaining. You arrogant little... I'm not arrogant. I'm simply stating facts. Neither of us is particularly likes working in the same area, but we must. So do what you have to do while I do what I'm supposed to do. You know Cosmos takes no excuses. You know as well as I that your assignment will come crashing into mine. Just stay away from me. Really, Robert, how can I stay away from you if you come crashing into me? Quite illogical. Robert leaves in a huff, slamming the door. Lana is at the other end of the bookstore, browsing through the Jane Austen novels. Act 1, Scene 2. Miss Carrington has followed Joe into the inner sanctum of his store. It looks like a parlor from the 18th century. My goodness, look at all these antiques. It's such a beautiful, elegant room. Joe beams, and he sits across from her. To her astonishment, there's a full high tea setting, just waiting for them. Shall I be mother? How'd you take your tea? A little lemon, that's all. 
And would you like a biscuit or a fancy? Fancy? Oh, I'm sorry. What, what, one of those little cakes. I forget, sometimes I'm in New York. No, thank you. Mr. Cronus, what is this all about? Your brother has been missing for a year, is that correct? How could you possibly know that? Please sit down, Miss Carrington. I'm here to help you, not to scare you. Would you like to come with me to look for him? Where? The police have no leads. He has been taken somewhere beyond their authority. But it is in mine, and I want to help you. How? All right, this is always the hard part. <clears throat> He's been taken by a time curator, a time traveler, to another time. It's against every code there is to take unwilling companion, but he has... And now he's under not only his influence, but a beautiful woman's, and he will not listen to reason. I had hoped, since I know you love each other deeply, that you might be able to make him see sense, see reason, bring him where he belongs. Let me tell you, the outcome, if he stays there, will be not only catastrophic for him, but for time itself. That is ridiculous. I'm leaving. Joe reaches into his inside pocket and pulls out a beautiful pocket watch. Lana sits back down, and tears start to flow from her eyes. That was my grandfather's. He, he would never part from that willingly. When I went to talk reason to him, he gave me this to give to you. You said you should keep it to remember both him and your grandfather. Where is he, and what do I have to do? Oh, he's in London. London of the 18th century. Jane Austen's London? The same. I will come with you. Act two, scene one. A bit of change is seen for our audience. It is London in the 18th century. A gentleman's club with very masculine, heavy furniture and paneling and very dour, grumpy-looking older men reading newspapers and playing whist. Robert enters in the appropriate clothes of the period. He is not at all happy about his assignment. His eyes scan for a figure. He didn't need his research to know. Finding him at the bar, regaling several men with a tale of adventure, Robert knows is not his own. All the rotten assignments. I must go after this tin-plated ass with delusions of godhood. He approaches the man. His name is Terence Kaiser, who separates himself from his fans and approaches him. Robert, old man, it's so good to see you. Indeed? Of course, your crustiness is always good for a laugh. What brings you here? And your overinflated ego is always good for a kick in the rump. Well, there, there, old man, remember who and where we are. <laughs> We're not in the jolly colonies with the ribald Huber. We're in a gentleman's club in the heart of civilization. Listen, ancient man, I am not here for fun. Cronus wants to meet you. Oh, Joe. <laughs> what is he doing here? I thought he loved that shop of his. Oh, he does. And he despises leaving it. But we have to, thanks to your skullduggery. Mine? I assure you, old man, I'm as innocent as a lamb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe wants you to meet him at this address. Got it? 
Language, dear boy. Do not forget where you are. Just be there. Terrence makes a great show of lifting his handkerchief to wipe his brow, sniffing his snuff, and straightening his cuff. If I must. Listen, if I have to come here, then you can meet Joe. Very well, old man, in honor of your great sacrifice. Sacrifice, my... Language, language. Robert growls at him and turns abruptly and leaves. A wicked smile appears on Terence's face. Really? I'm descended directly from Julius Caesar, and I must listen to that little worm. Act Two, Scene Two. Miss Carrington and Joe Cronus enter a beautiful home in Kent. They were both appropriately dressed for the 18th century. Joe actually cleaned up quite nicely in the period clothes, and Lana looks spectacular in the ball gown that Joe arranged for her to be wearing. They are in the entry, waiting to be introduced. You look quite beautiful, Miss Carrington. Lana, please. No, not here. Uh, Maybe when we're back in New York, but not in this time and place. Here, Miss Carrington. Okay, if that is what you think is best. And watch how you speak here, slang. Not appropriate. Uh, Though it's quite okay, just between us. (laughs) I'll do my best. Where are we? The Gosherum Estate in Kent. It belongs to Edward Knight, and he and his lovely wife are hosting. You may have heard of his sister... Jane Austen? What? Yes, yes, yes. Jane is here. But we're not here to see Jane, but one of her friends. You know Jane Austen? Quite well, actually. (laughs) Lovely, kind, and of course, excessively talented young woman. Can I meet her? There's no way to avoid it. Phoebe is one of her best chums, so you will meet her. But, Lana, remember we're here to find your brother. Don't lose your focus. I won't. Joe, she's my favorite author. Tell her that. She'll love it. Shall we? Act 2, Scene 3. Joe and Lana enter the ballroom of Edward Knight. After making it through the reception line and finally saying hello to the host and hostess, Joe sees Jane with a group of people. One of them is a person he very much wants to talk to, Phoebe Weatherby. His lips twist slightly, when he sees that someone he very much does not want to talk to is next to Phoebe. Miss Carrington, follow my lead. That man beside Jane is one of the most dangerous beings in the universe. That man? He looks like a drag queen. Well, wrong, wrong century, but, uh, yes, that's him. Don't be fooled. Under that foppish exterior is a dangerous, powerful, and cunning monster. But why is he near Jane? James famous, and he loves famous people. I think he feels it'll rub off on him, but he's a fool. I was also here because I asked him to come, so I could talk to him. Does he know about my brother? Yes, but shh, shh, here they come. Jane leads the party to Joe and Lana. Then she hugs her old friend. Joe, how lovely to see you. It has been too many years since you've graced us with your presence. Dear Miss Austin, you look as enchanting as ever. Oh, Miss Austin, is that not how you would address a stranger? We've known each other too long, and you are a friend of my late dear father. Privately, I would succumb to your kindness, but not here in your brother's home. 
<laughs> Very well, suddenly proper, Mr. Cronus. Come, I want you to meet my friend. Uh, excuse me, my, my, my dear Miss Austin, but I want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine from America. Oh, how very impolite of me. I do apologize. Miss Jane Austen, this is Lana Carrington of New York City. I'm a great fan of yours, my dear. Miss Carrington, it is an honor to meet you. Miss Austen, it is truly my honor to meet you. I love your books. Oh, well, since there are only two of them, that is not a monumental task. Though I am in the final stages of my latest work, my poor Emma. Poor Lana was tongue-tied. Her favorite novel had not yet been published. In fact, her favorite had not yet been written. Joe sees her stress and just... Poor, poor Miss Carrington is overwhelmed to meet the woman who created Lizzie Bennet. Let us give her a chance to breathe and meet your friends. Oh, my dear Miss Carrington, you needn't worry about me. I just love to write and to share my writing. I have no ego about it except to present the very best work I can. But our Mr. Cronus is quite right. Come along. Let me introduce you to our friends. Oh, well, two of them. The other seems to have dispersed. When they approach, it seems that all but Terence Kaiser and Phoebe Weatherby are still by the fireplace, where a group of seven had been gathered only moments earlier. Mr. Cronus, Miss Carrington, this is my oldest friend Phoebe Weatherby and her latest conquest, Terence Kaiser. <laughs> Hardly that, Miss Austin, though I do hope he will ask me for a turn or two. It's an honor to meet you, Miss Carrington, and to see you again, Mr. Cronus. I would also like to have a chance to turn with Miss Weatherby. I would be delighted. And it is an honor to meet you as well, Miss Weatherby. Mr. Kaiser and I are old friends. In fact, I'd like a word. Oh, really? Oh, boy, do I have to. I was just going to ask Miss Weatherby for a whirl. Miss Weatherby, I promise you will not be cheated. Terence. Oh, very well. Ladies. Miss Austin, I know that Miss Carrington loves your novels so very much. <laughs> Would it be much of an imposition if you tell her about your Emma? Indeed not. Come, Miss Carrington, Miss Weatherby. Let us get comfortable and I will tell you all about my poor dear Emma. Jane leads Phoebe to the stairs, but Lana stays near Joe. I want to go with you. Oh, Miss Carrington, I need you to befriend Miss Weatherby. Use your sweet charm and find out what you can about Mr. Kaiser. You mean pump her for information? Strong century again, but yes, that is exactly what I mean. Will it lead to Peter? Indeed, it is a piece of the puzzle. An important piece. And I will extract every tiny piece of information that I can from the woman. Lana nods to Joe and joins Jane and Phoebe by the stairs. Excellent young woman. Joe walks over to Terence. His polite veneer has vanished. What are you up to, Terence? What havoc are you creating? And where is Miss Carrington's brother? No, oh, do you have a soft spot for this one? It is called compassion, something of which you yet to hear. Oh, how very human of you, old boy. And how very boring. At least Robert is amusing. Robert and I do not get on, but at least he works for the betterment of the universe. Implying that I am not? Implying it, I am not stating it. Well, I have no idea what you're going on and on about. And what's more, I couldn't care less. Now, if you'll excuse me. Now, I will in a moment. I have... 
One or two things to make clear. Oh, really, Joe? You are being an utter bore, and as thick as two short planks, and we are of equal power. I am not alone. Neither am I. The two of them stare each other down for several minutes. The first to flinch is Terence, which annoys him deeply. <sighs> what do you want? Right now, I want Peter Carrington. He is not mine anymore. Miss Drucker has taken him. No, she hasn't taken him. She's been instructed to acquire him. Now, who would do a mean thing like that? I'm not jesting, old boy. I want Peter Carrington returned to his sister and his century. Or? You really don't want an answer to that question, believe me. I only give one warning, you know that. Return the boy to where he belongs. You don't scare me, Joe. I'm not trying to. I'm stating facts. If that boy is not returned, you'll not be at all happy with the results. You may act like a vacant, foppish yahoo, but I know you're brilliant. So it's not hard for you to understand my meaning at all. Return the boy. There's a brisk knock at the door to the alcove which they are arguing in. Jane pops her head in and smiles at Joe. He shyly smiles back. There's a young woman with her, Samantha Gruber, who walks over to Terence and says, Mr. Kaiser, according to my card, you are my next dance. Am I? <laughs> well, I never like to disappoint a lady. <laughs> this dance is the latest from France, and I'm looking forward to it. Then come, Miss Gruber. We shall away. Mr. Cronus, Miss Austin. They sweep out, and Joe turns to Jane, who smiles at him, and hands him her card. I believe you're my next dance? Waltz? Mm, yes. It is a very new dance, and my mother despises it. Let's go drive her mad. My pleasure, Miss Austin. <laughs> no, it is mine, Mr. Cronus. Scene one. The setting is Joe's bookshop. Lena is all in a whirl. She's standing still, but she feels as if she's still spinning. One moment she was dancing with Joe, and the next she was in the bookshop. Oh, I... Shh, 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 shh. It's all going to be fine. Now sit down here and drink some tea, and eat some of these lovely hot chocolate biscuits. You'll feel much better. We didn't go into that machine, and I... I'm back in my own clothes. How? Let's just say it's better not to ask. You'll soon be reunited with your brother. Now, what did you craftily get out of Phoebe? It's really strange. She said that Mrs. Drucker chatted with Peter over tea at a card party. Not long, only 20 minutes or so. She glanced over a few times, and she said it was extraordinary. His expression slowly changed. It went from merely polite to infatuated to hopelessly in love. In 20 minutes. He says whenever she sees them together, Peter's like a puppy. He's lost all sense. He does whatever she asks. It's the complete opposite of my brother. I've seen him in love, and he's never lost himself before like this. How is this possible? By completely immoral means. 
She slipped something into his tea. For lack of a better word, is enchanted. Under the influence, if you will. Is it some form of hypnotism? No, no, not that. When hypnotized, you still have some control. This is closer to brainwashing. With no real damage to the victim's brain. If we can get him, he should be fine. Tell me something. What does he do for a living? He's a tailor by trade, and a very good one, but he puddles around in our attic making inventions and writing extensive papers for universities. Luckily, he makes good money as a tailor because patents cost a great deal of money, and we I see. It all becomes clear to me. Not to me. Lana, my dear, you must be on the threshold of something, or Terence and Mrs. Drucker would have no interest in. You said that you went to reason with him, and he turned you down flat. How will he come around this time? He is under her influence, but let's just say that Mrs. Drucker is the widow of a time curator. She has great power, but not as great as Terence and I. She is going to release Peter because she knows I can stop her whole game. Besides, it's not really her game, it's Terence's, and she knows that I'm of equal power to him. But do you know her game? Some of it. There's a ruckus in Joe's back room. Two voices, and the sounds of things falling off the shelves. Ah, here they are. If one book is damaged... Joe gets up and goes to the back room. And now there are three male voices that are arguing loudly. And she can recognize all three of them. Her brother, Peter, that man, Robert, and Joe. Joe is shoving Peter through the door, followed by Robert, oh, with a black eye. Aren't you ashamed of yourself, young man? Punching a man a century older than yourself? Apologize. Now. Though his voice didn't change. There's a menace in it that Lana had not yet heard. She's stunned by it. Her brother Peter is a tall, handsome man. Though his hair's a mess and his clothes look like he's slept in them, he shows primal fear of Joe, and he backs away from the older man. I, I'm sorry, Robert, for, for punching you. I, I just I felt provoked when you dragged me away from Drusilla. Who's Drusilla? This is Drucker. Now, Peter, hug and kiss your sister and tell her how sorry you are for worrying her for over a year. A, a year? No, no, it's, it's only been a few weeks. A year, Peter. I left my job, my friends, my whole life searching for you. A whole year has gone by and no word, no clue, not even a note to me. I thought you loved me. I thought we were close. I, I do love you. I just didn't know we were going to be gone for so long and I... I had no idea where we were going, and I just, I fell in love, and I, I'm sorry, Lana. Really, I am. Not in love, though it may have felt like that. You were enchanted. It'll slowly fade like it never was. You two get reacquainted, and afterwards, Peter, I really need to talk to you about your inventions. Right now, Robert and I need to have a little chat. Act three. Scene two. Robert grumpily follows Joe into the storeroom. Joe starts to carefully check and fix the boxes after the altercation between Robert and Peter. I can fix your eye after they go if that's why you're so grumpy. No, it's not that. 
but yes, please fix it. Uh, it's Drusilla. I know you and she have history. Until Terence came in, it was more than history. We. I know. Oh, I know. He's a bastard. There really is no other word for it. She will not believe he is using her as he uses everyone. Uh, you know, that is why I didn't want this assignment. But I now know what it is all about. That boy will develop something that will be fundamental in the next century. And Terence wants to stop it so he can control the technology. I know. You know? How the hell do you know? Another assignment led me to finding out. Do you want me to try and save Drusilla? Could you? Please? Yes, yes. Hold on a moment. Joe pulls out his cell phone and punches some buttons. Suddenly, across the room is the familiar figure of Terrence. He is indignant. Very clever. Were you a bit frustrated? Yes. How did you stop me from hearing you? Classified. Robert sees red, and he's stampeding towards Terrence. Joe swings his arm out to stop him in his tracks. Joe! Let the fool come. Enough, Robert. Why don't you go to see to our guests? Fine. But this is not finished, Terry. Terrence. What's in a name? Let him go. You did steal the love of his life. Did you think he was going to hug you? Love? We should not love... It's not in our DNA. Of course it is. Now, admit defeat on this one and withdraw. Never. I will find another way. Suddenly, Joe is alone in the room. He slams his hand down on the desk. <clears throat> Act 3, Scene 3. A parlor in Jane Austen's home. The maid knocks. Then escorts Joe through to the parlor. Jane stands and curtsies, and Joe bows as the maid withdraws. Joe closes the door and leans against it. It is tedious. We've known each other such a long time and still must go through such rituals. (laughs) It is indeed. You look well. Please have a seat. Joe sits down in the chair beside the couch and Jane retakes her seat, putting her needlework on the low table beside her. How goes your Emma? She has survived all her difficulties, and she is on her way to contentment. Then you must be already working on your next novel? (laughs) You know me too well. Yes, indeed. It is called The Elliot's right now, but knowing my new publisher, he'll change it. May I have a hint? Hmm... Lost love reclaimed. (laughs) Joe, I know you too. You must want to talk about something other than my scribblings. I adore your scribblings. I think they're much more than scribblings. Joe, you're very good with words yourself, but clearly you're here for another purpose. (sighs) Yes, yes. I need to know if you heard anything at all when Peter Carrington and Terence Kaiser were last here. Anything 
Out of place, unusual. Something that caught your ear. It's very important, Jane. Yes. It was unusual, and it confused me. No, it disturbed me. What? I do not wish to precipitate, but it is, as I said, disturbing. And that is? I had just returned from upstairs to retrieve my Emma to read to the party when I heard two men having an argument in the back hall. I heard Mr. Kaiser say that he did not care about ramifications and that he must know where the deposits were in both countries. Then Mr. Carrington said that his studies were not for monetary gain. Mr. Kaiser then said that it was not money but power and that he needed to know where they were. Then Mr. Carrington, quite angrily, said that the information was easily accessible and why was he asking him? Then Mr. Kaiser replied, Though I know of Sutter's Mill, that does not mean I know what your studies from Spain show. And, well, that was all. Joe looked like he was a snake about to spring. He was so coiled. He slowly blinked and realized she could read him like a book. I must go. Jane took his arm to hold him still. Joe stood up, but helped her to raise with him, intending to say goodbye. Jane? I know this is hard for you, but could you look to me as a woman? It is not hard at all. Jane slowly brings her other hand up and cups Joe's cheek, tenderly caressing him. Oh, that is good. I look to you as a good friend, but I also look to you as a man. A man I care for. Jane, I... Jane carefully brought her other hand up and cupped both cheeks, bringing him to her for a kiss. The kiss was tender, but quite passionate. Both participants were left breathless. Come back to me. That is all I ask. My future is uncertain. Oh, all futures are uncertain. That is the excitement of life. Jane kissed him again, this time tenderly, to say goodbye. Just come back. Goodbye, Jane. Joe. I care for you, Jane, and that is why I must go now. Scene 1. The home of Lana and Peter Carrington. Modern-day New York City. Joe strides up to the door and knocks. Lana answers, and she's delighted to see him. Joe, I'm so glad you came. Maybe you can talk sense to my brother. Sense about what exactly? That woman. He just can't get her out of his mind. And his work is suffering. His paper for the university is due next week, but with all his foolish running around in time. I see, I see. Lana, what is the paper about? Something about mining. While Peter was researching in an old archive, he found some ancient Spanish journals, which are supposed to shed a whole new light on mining, both here and in the UK. I must see him now. Lana nods and leads the way to Peter's room. Lena knocks several times, but receives no reply. 
Joe takes an instrument from his pocket, and within seconds, the door is open. He walks in and finds the young man asleep at his desk. Is he? Oh, he's fine. He drank himself to sleep last night, it appears. Joe looks around the room and finds a pitcher of water by a planter. With a wicked smirk, he adds two ice cubes from the drinks tray and pours it over Peter's head. What? Why am I wet? How did you get in here? Lana, what the hell do you think you're doing? Never mind all that. What exactly did you tell Terence about mining? I I told him about the Spanish journal that that shows that the mine was not owned by Sutter because it was not sold to him by its rightful owner, which was the country of Mexico at the time. In order to prove it, you must get to the cornerstone. And the only way to do that is to go to the right time period because well, it was destroyed by a fire around 1900. What does that to do with England? Oh, oh that's a different document. Uh, it's a treaty during the time of the Armada for a huge copper mine. Well, except now that the mine is being worked on, it's for its plutonium deposit. What? Give me the exact dates and time before that moron destroys the universe. Act 4, Scene 2. New Helvetia in the Central Valley, California, a province of Mexico on the 18th of June, 1841, better known as Sutter's Mill, that will become Sacramento, California. Joe appears just west of the mill, where he is met by a settler, Eric Garcia. Now, Eric was a good man, but he was also crafty. He saw that this man was not from the territory, so he hopes that he could sway him into paying out a peso or two. These were hard times. The U.S. and Mexico had just fought the War of Texas Independence, and Eric knew that the American government wanted California, too. His fellow settlers were very angry at the Mexican government for not allowing them to own land. They could work it. They could even pay for the privilege, but they could never own it. He was worried that it might lead to an Alamo right here in New Helvetia. He was quite an old man, and he had an instinct for trouble, and troublemakers. After all, he could make trouble himself with the best of them. Good morning. Good morning, senor. How far is it to the new mill? Far away. Uh, miles. And this sign that says New Helvetia is two miles? is. Uh... Uh, you are an educated man, I see. What is your name? Eric Garcia. Uh, what is yours? Joe Cronus. Oh. What kind of name is Kronos? An old one, and I'm getting older by the minute. I'm time to barter. I'll give you a hundred pesos to take me to Mr. Sutter himself. What makes you think Captain Sutter will see you? That's not your concern, young man. Do you want a hundred pesos? See, si, but... Now what if he won't see me? I am not saying that he will not, or... That... You will not pay me. But you see, I, I worry. Will I still get my money? Well, I always keep my promises. I am not sure. But why? But I trust you, senor. Come, 
Joe and Eric were almost at the mill when there's a shimmer in the fabric of time. Terence Kaiser was now standing between them and the bridge to the mill with a smirk on his face. So, your price, Eric, is a hundred pesos? You are all promises, but no pesos, senor. I would leave if you don't want something bad to happen to you. Go ahead, Eric. You'll get your money from me no matter what. Oh, St. Joe. Hardly. Eric is torn. He wants his money, and he's worried that Joe will not live to give it to him. Joe reads the man's face easily and takes money from his pocket and gives him 200 pesos. Eric's eyes light up, and he's stunned into silence for a moment. Go, amigo. Go. Gracias. You are a kind man, a good man. Go, Eric. Eric smiles and nods, walking in the direction that Joe is pointing. Oh, should we raise a statue for you, St. Joe? Hilarious. Now you go home, Joe. Go back to your little bookshop and leave the rest of the universe to your betters. <laughs> You're hardly my better, and I'm not going home. We need to have a bit of a chat. That is why you were going to see Captain Sutter? I had no great intention of seeing him. I knew you would pop up. I can't allow you to use your abilities to manipulate the markets. You're a member of the Cronus Corps, and you're not allowed to interfere in the timeline, and you damn well know it. <laughs> it is all interpretations, my dear man. This is not interfering. It's merely taking an interest. Cronus law enforcement will not look at it that way. Are you going to tell them your mere theories? No, I don't have to. They know all about it. Suddenly, beams of light surround Terence on all sides and he is locked in what is called a status jail. Three uniformed guards appear around it. Let me go! Damn you! Release me! Oh, where's your dignity? Don't smirk. When I am free, I will... Sadly, your crimes will mean you will never be free. Goodbye, Terry. Joe, you get me out of here. You know what I'll... I'll find you... Terrence and the guards transport. Joe shakes his head and transports too. Act 4, Scene 3. Joe is in his shop. He's reading Persuasion, but with a different eye than he ever had before. There were tears falling rapidly down his cheeks. He must put the book down to calm down. Oh, Jane. The bell in the front of the shop rings. He quickly dries his tears, and he gets up to see Lana Carrington coming into the shop with a wide, happy smile. Good morning. You look very happy. You don't. You look horrible. Are you sick? No, no, no. no. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just tired. So, so what, uh, what joys bring you to me today? To thank you. Peter is back to himself again. In fact, he's passionate about his work, and he's found himself a girl here in this century, in New York. I'm so very grateful to you. Nonsense, my dear girl. I'm happy for both of you. 
And you, what uh, what joys do you have in store for yourself now that your brother's not tying you up in worry? How did you know? Yes, I went back to work, and I can socialize with my friends again. I'm back among the living again instead of locked up in our townhouse worrying. Thank you, Joe. Is there something I can do for you? No. Just be happy. Lana hugs Joe, then leaves the shop with a huge smile. Joe shakes his head and starts to walk back to his corner when he hears a noise behind him. You're everyone's fairy godfather. I'm here to thank you, too. You've reunited with Drusilla? Yes, as if you didn't know. You are such a romantic. Me? <laughs> I'm an old curmudgeon, and you know it. No, not really. Not really. I I thought at first it was that girl, Lana, but it isn't, is it? What on earth are you talking about? I have known you a long time. It's Jane Austen, isn't it? I don't know what you mean. Ah, you do. You love her. It doesn't matter. Time is fixed for her, and you know it. She died soon after she finished her last novel. It was, uh... The beginning of another book, but alas, was persuasion. She died, so... Spend her last days with her. You both deserve it. No, I can't. I know. I just hate to see you so heartbroken. Joe? You know as well as I do. It is the sacrifice of the Cronus. <laughs> 